Welcome to Roll to Save, the RPG history podcast, Tale of the Manticore. Hello and welcome to a special episode of Roll to Save. We're very fortunate because this week we are joined by John, who is the host and writer of the Tale of the Manticore podcast. John, welcome. We're very glad to have you here. Hey, thank you so much for having me. I've been a fan of your show for a long, long time, and I'm absolutely thrilled to finally get to uh, talk to you face to face. Well, likewise, I am a massive fan of Tale of the Manticore. I've been following it since the beginning incredibly jealous of the fact that you managed to do the movie trailer guy voice that is a a very impressive feat sadly we have we have nothing quite so gravelly on on roll to save but i'm going to ask you the same question i ask everyone that we get on the show and that is namely how did you start in the role-playing hobby what was your first game what really got you into it all i'm one of those folks that uh picked up basic D. this is like a little bit before the red box came out probably 1983 i think i was 11 or 12 years old i'm a little i'm a little fuzzy on it my brother got a copy of the set for some reason he allowed me to to play in his game it changed my life to like that that art Work that Errol Otis artwork, the Jeff D stuff, Morgan Ironwolf, the cover alone, all of that stuff just completely was was the perfect crack for my 11-year-old brain. I didn't understand the game at all because um, my understanding of games up until then was, you know, like Monopoly and or chess or checkers or whatever. I didn't have a concept of a game that could exist without uh, turns being taken or even a non-competitive game. But I knew that whatever the the stuff was the the trappings of the game were just to my mind absolute perfect drug and so i was hooked 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 and i spent a ton of time playing but not just playing but also just kind of daydreaming about the stuff reading modules that i would never play i I read so many more of those little module packets that you used to be able to buy i played some of them but mostly just read them and it's sort of in my imagination. Uh, I think I did a lot more gameplay in my imagination than I did actually in, in you know, real life. And then I sort of, it started to wane a little bit when I was a teenager. Are we around the same age? I'm in my late 40s. You look younger than me. I'm in my mid-40s, just. There we go. There we go. So I'm the senior. You must respect me. <laughs> <laughs> Having a teenager, uh, so, I know that's not the case at all. Okay. <laughs> um, anyway, so in my in my teenage years, uh, well, you will remember this. There was the satanic panic, mazes mm-hmm. and monsters, all that stuff. And for any of your listeners that were there, they know how true this is. And for any that weren't there, uh, well, believe you me, it was about the worst thing you could admit to being was a Dungeons and Dragons player. It was deeply, deeply shameful. Uh, and so uh, those of us that played, most of us were closet D&D players. And I did have a group of friends. We were not friends in school. We all went to the same school, but we weren't friends. We probably didn't say hello in the in the halls, but we would meet at, uh, at one of my buddies' places who had moved out lived in an apartment. It was filthy, empty pizza boxes everywhere. Smelled every, Everything smelled like shoes, whether it was shoes or not. And we would play D&D there together. But eventually the stigma became so powerful and unavoidable that I just gave up and chose having a girlfriend over playing role-playing games because that was that was definitely the choice. You could listen to heavy metal and still have a girlfriend, but you couldn't listen to heavy metal, play D&D and still have a girlfriend. That was that was not that was just not acceptable. Anyway, so I gave up the hobby and I gave it up for decades actually. And uh, I still would read um, the novels and you know, when the Lord of the Rings movies came out, I was really excited about that. And then when Game of Thrones came out, I was really excited about that. But I never came back to the table uh, because in my mind, that stigma was always there. Uh, it was very, very sort of private internal passion for me. Never went away, actually, never went away. Always loved the genre, I guess is the word. But then actually it was doing the podcast and strangely enough, the pandemic that actually brought me back to a game I'm I'm in my first game now. I, I finally gave in and, and joined up with Roll20. Uh, that's the first game I've played in over 20 years. Wow. 
Yeah, yeah. And it's you know what? It's it's great. It's great. I wish I hadn't waited. I have done more role playing this year than I have done in the last decade probably combined. And again, a combination of the pandemic and just tools like Roll20 that are available now. We we were talking about it in our last podcast, but I've done 250 hours up to the end of this year. It was your last episode. I don't know when this one's going to come out, but in in that particular episode you were saying you you can't wait to give them your money right you're like please take it please take it we should point out there are other platforms roll 20 is just one of many fantasy Mm -hmm. grounds all that good stuff i use roll 20 with 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 my group mainly because i think i'm now at that age where i found one i'm like okay i vaguely understand this i'm Mm -hmm. not going to bother muddying the water by trying other things but it makes it so easy i would not have conceived of this even a decade ago of being able to play. It was always very much you have to get people around the table and sit in a musty room. Your experiences of the satanic panic are interesting because mm-hmm. when I talk to people from North America around about the same age, they all have gone through that experience mm-hmm. of it was stigmatized. You've got a kind of very far-right religious movement just going after it with with money and with lawyers and all sorts of things. And in the UK, we had that, but to a, a much lesser degree. I remember when I was, I would have been probably about 11 years old, and fighting fantasy books were a massive craze in my school. And those mm-hmm. are the choose-your-own-adventure-style mm-hmm. ones produced by the guys who eventually went on to make Games Workshop. And they were little mini role-playing games. You threw some dice, except we never threw dice because we were massive cheats and just assumed that we blazed through every fight. But I remember one parents' night, and my parents came home kind of incensed because our teacher had told all the parents that she believed these books were evil and we shouldn't be reading them. I cannot imagine a teacher nowadays telling parents that they want the children to learn less. <laughs> uh, yeah, oh, oh my God, I remember that. When when I was a kid, we our teachers would say, you can read anything you want for a book report, whatever it was. You can read anything you want except Stephen King. I remember it so <laughs> clearly. That was It was like the Wikipedia of the 80s. You can use any website to research you want, except for Wikipedia. Back then, it was Stephen King. He was just considered schlock, and yeah. you know it was tasteless. Now, nowadays, I think he's finally kind of recognized as a kind of a you know, yeah. genius. I think Stephen King probably does not care. He's probably just sitting yeah, right. lighting a cigar with a $50 note somewhere going, okay, yeah, I'm tasteless, yeah. whatever. So you've kind of answered this question already, but... What drove you to create the Tale of the Manticore podcast? It's a bit different from other actual plays, but I'll let you get into that in a minute. It kind of happened a a little bit by accident, kind of by accident. So as I mentioned, while I was not playing D&D, I was was still really sort of in in my mind, still loved all of that stuff. And so I would read the novels and and watch the Game of Thrones and all that stuff. And then I discovered uh, that podcasts also had this particular genre represented. And so I discovered The Adventure Zone. And have you heard? Have you listened to that one yet? I have not listened to it yet. No. Trust me, it's it's a bit of a life changer. It literally was a life changer for me. They do a, a Gonzo com- comedy D and D thing, which is just a bunch of really funny guys improving over their D and D game. There's there's very little D and D in it. It's so good, but not just funny. It, they really achieve like some emotionally impactful episodes, and the story itself is very brilliantly crafted, especially considering that it was kind of procedurally generated. It wasn't, I think a lot of it was kind of done in the the Lost, remember Lost? It was sort of like they kept on adding complexity and adding complexity. Mm -hmm. And by the end of it, you're like, is this going to resolve in a brilliant way? Well, it didn't, but the Adventure Zone does. They managed to make all of the strangeness make sense in the most amazing way. Anyway, so I was inspired by that. And I started thinking, Maybe there's more. Maybe there's more. I'll listen to. I'll listen to these all day long. They're they're so good, and so I started looking, but I didn't find them. I found a lot of imitators for the Adventure Zone. There are a lot, a lot. There's a vast, vast ocean of actual plays that want to be improv comedy. But at least to me, and I qualify it by you know to each his own taste. To me, they're not funny. There's a lot that are just kind of ridiculous, but to me, ridiculous doesn't equal funny. They're not maybe clever. They're just a little bit weird or uh, zany. They use words like shenanigans and hijinks a lot. Those are usually 
they set off alarms for me. Anyway, I don't want to. I don't want to take a giant crap off or other people's podcasts. They're obviously very, very popular, and a lot of people love them. But I, I didn't. Uh, so I was. I was going through a half a dozen a day, and I would just sort of audition them. And when it came time for the zany comedy, if it didn't land, delete for me. And eventually, by accident, I found one that was another life changer. It was. Um, the Iron Realm. It's, it's certainly known, I think, in like the mm-hmm. solo play kind of kind of world. And I listened to it, and it was basically my childhood game played out, and there was dramatization as well. And I, I thought, this is fantastic. There's nothing like this. This is amazing. And so I started looking for more like that. Didn't find them. Basically, that that was it. The guy Abel Enzo, who runs that show, he uh, he's basically an island, right? He no one else really doing that. And so being unable to find more, but wanting more, eventually I just came to the decision to, to make it. And so I basically, I made the version of Abel's show that I was searching for the whole time, or at least I tried to, a lot of things kind of emerged as I was learning the ropes of podcasting. I'm sure you've had the same experience when you start out, you know a little, yeah. And then after a while, you get better. So um, although I'm not like ashamed of my earlier episodes, with one exception, we can come back to that later. It definitely my later stuff is better as I as I as I kind of get it, as I kind of understand. Oh, okay, I can do this, and I can do this. This works. This works. This doesn't work. Anyway, so that that's how I came to making the podcast. And also, I had a, a background as a studio engineer and as a musician. I don't hate. The sound of my own voice recorded. Most a lot of people do. Actually, I hate my own singing voice. I hate it. I can't stand to listen to it. But um, my speaking voice, I'm I'm at least okay with. And I've heard other people have said to me, "Oh, you you have a kind of a radio kind of voice." It all kind of came together. There were no reasons for me to say no. It's kind of like, well, I always wanted to kind of write a novel, but I never did. I'm looking for a podcast that's a certain thing, and I can't find it. I have some audio skills. I have some really nice equipment in terms of microphones and stuff. There's no reason not to do this. And then the pandemic came and boom, suddenly I had all the time in the world to do it. Actually, at first I was trying to do it on the sly. I didn't tell my partner I was doing it. Could you, <laughs> could you imagine making a podcast in secret? <laughs> like it's ridiculous, but I tried and I was, I was trying to record with my phone in my classroom. I'm a high school teacher. After class, I would try and record episodes and, and sort of write at after school. Uh, and it was not working very well. And it was certainly much too slow. And eventually when the pandemic came and we were all just sort of indoors all the time, I was like, I have time, equipment, a burning desire to do this, but I can't do it because my partner's here. So suddenly I, I just broke down one day and I said, listen, I have, I have to, I have to drop a bomb. And then I told her I was a into role-playing games and she said yeah i know <laughs> yeah well my, my wife has uh, tolerated me for many many moons and i think when i told her that i was going to do a, a podcast about the history of rpgs it was almost mm-hmm. just a this is just the latest badge of shame that you're adding to your collection <laughs> you you have, a, you have a glass cabinet filled with tiny painted plastic figures downstairs you're a grown man this is probably the least shameful thing you've done go for it <laughs> by yourself uh, I, I love the slant that you have on um, on this kind of podcast, because obviously there, there are a lot of us doing RPG podcasts, but I think you've also really found a niche where there's really no one else doing what you do. And so I think I think you've really got something there. I think you've really cracked onto something good with what you do. And actually, I've noticed you've branched out as well over time too, right? So now you're starting to include more interviews and you include more... I think you're yep. thinking about doing something with paranoia. You should yes. do it. So it goes back to actually what you're saying about Zany. So I interviewed Alan Varney, who is one of the designers for Paranoia XP, which is, mm-hmm. in my opinion, the best edition of, of Paranoia. He also wrote a lot of the adventures during the glory days of Paranoia in first and second edition. And one of the things that Alan said, which I was very glad he said because if he hadn't said that i would feel horrible interviewing him but was he really hated the direction that paranoia took when it became wacky and zany paranoia's early humor is actually very dark Uh if you think of terry gilliam's brazil that is what paranoia really is at its essence Uh and the games that i run of paranoia are 
like that. There's people who will not like them because they like games where people throw custard pies at each other and I don't particularly find that funny. And so I run games that tend to be a bit darker, but they're still dark doesn't necessarily mean boring. And I've always thought that would be great as an actual play podcast. The reason being Mm -hmm. Paranoia is never a campaign. I've run about just over a dozen games of Paranoia since the pandemic started. And we've probably done about six different adventures, Mm -hmm. but not with the same characters, not with the the same continuation because Paranoia does not have a happy ending. Mm -hmm. It's been nice because the players themselves, I've been dropping in little continuity links so they'll hear something happening in another sector, which they know full well is their idiocy from a previous game. But there's uh-huh. no link. They don't go there. They don't see what happens. But right. then they've started dropping things in themselves with completely different characters and saying, oh, yeah, I, I saw in the news that this thing happened in CHN sector. What was happening over there? And they'll have a little chuckle to themselves because they yeah. know it's, it's an in-joke. It takes away from the zaniness and the wackiness. And I've always... I've tried to find Paranoia Actual Play and everything I've seen either on YouTube or on the podcast has been crazy shenanigans. Mm. Join yeah. us as our wacky troubleshooters engage with Daleks with a Mexican accent. You're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, exactly. that's, that's not for me. So yes, I'm considering doing an Ocean's Eleven and getting a team together to to pull off a Paranoia Actual Play with the proviso that they can all drop out after one adventure because... Yeah, you know, oh, you should, you should. And and as you say, if, if they are kind of uh, geared towards uh, shorter campaigns or, or even not even campaigns, but sort of one-shot type th- things... Then you can do it as a you could do that as an experiment. Just oh yeah, I don't know this because I'm getting older and my attention span gets shorter. I love short episodes. That's one reason I love your podcast. It's the perfect length for me. I can listen to it between a call or if I'm going to the garage or whatever, and I get the whole thing through. I don't have to listen to you one and a half times speed with one game session. I could get maybe six half hour episodes out of that, and yeah, that would be a, a nice little thing. So that's yeah, that's bubbling away in the in the back of my of my mm-hmm. mind. This is not about me and my my strange dreams of of what I want to do with podcasting. One of the questions I would ask you about Tale of the Manticore is how would you describe it to somebody who has never listened to it before? I've been asked this before and I usually mess it up. <laughs> I usually mess up <laughs> the answer really bad. I'm gonna I'm gonna go for it again. Ready? Okay. Um stepping up to the plate. Uh, Essentially what the game what Tale of the Manticore is, first of all, it's um, it's OSR. It's Dungeons and Dragons, kind of circa Redbox. Uh, it is solo play, kind of. Uh, it's it is just me for the most part, um, and it's it's narrated. So, how can I say? Uh, have you ever had like a game where you at the end of it you thought, well, this would make a good book? I've had that, and I've almost come close to. Making that book, Tale of the Manticore, is kind of like that, uh, except that it wasn't a game that happened and then a story that was written. I'm playing the game as I write a narration. So I guess a regular game of D&D takes place in the second person. Like, you know, what do you do? And then the characters say, like, you know, you enter a room, you see this, you see that. And then the characters are kind of in that first person. Oh, I do this. I do that. Tale of the Manticore is third person, like a novel. And so it'll say like the characters by name, they walk into a hall, they see this or this happens, and then they react. So I'm playing Dungeon Master and the characters, but it's still a game. It's a D&D game. So whenever there's a combat, dice are rolled. Whenever there's an element of chance, dice are rolled. Uh, I use the same tables that a DM would use, like wandering encounter tables. Every now and then I come across a conflict between what I know as a DM and what the characters would know. But it's not, it hasn't actually been that big of a conflict because I can always ask myself, would, would the characters know this? And if they don't, then they just act as they would according to what knowledge they have. It's dark fantasy. There's really no comedy in Tale of the Manicore. It is solo <laughs> play. It is about 60 to 70% narration, like a novel, and 30% gameplay. But really what it is in its core is a D&D game that happens very, very, very slowly at the speed of typing, actually. Um, because as I sit at a, at a keyboard and type out the gameplay, 
that's that's the speed that it comes out. I had, I once had a listener ask if he could get the the files, the video or audio files of the original game, and I had to write. I didn't understand at first, and then I did, and I wrote back, "Oh, there there is no original game. The the podcast yeah, that is the game. That is the game. This the script, I guess, is is written uh, uh, simultaneously to the game playing. It's it's uh, what's the word? Procedural? Emergent? Yeah." It's kind of, I call it sandbox fiction. I, I don't know what else to call it. It's hard to describe because there's almost, there's almost nothing else like it that I know of. There's a couple of things. I mentioned the Iron Realm that's similar uh, and certainly has been a big inspiration for me. Uh, do you know Trevor Duvall's Me, Myself, and Die? I've heard of it, uh, yes. On, on YouTube? That's kind of similar it's it's a story and a game that are happening always at the at the sort of at the edge of the storytelling the the storyteller doesn't know any more than the listener i guess is a way of putting it you've mentioned that it's osr uh-huh. what what dictated then your choice of system because you say it's almost red box dnd or mm-hmm. red box almost I- with a couple a couple of hacks yeah it's osr because i feel that rules light works well for a podcast. So it just works for the medium and rules heavy. I, I don't want to listen to somebody explaining too much. I'm happy to explain to, to hear somebody explaining a little bit. Um, every now and then I have a, a concern that the listening audience will be too young to really want to follow the basic rules. Maybe they won't be interested in basic D&D. And uh, so I, I'm always kind of crossing my fingers and hoping that they'll give it a chance and not be turned off like a black and white movie might turn off a modern audience. The OSR might turn off a modern role-playing audience. I don't know. Um, the other reason is because I've actually never played past second edition because I, cause I left the hobby. And when I came back, it was a pandemic. And so um, really the basic rules and well, I know the advanced rules, but they're the only rules I know. And so between the two of them, the basic rules work just better for audio medium because just because the rules light, that's it. That's it. Hello. I appear to be the small person entered the room. Hello. Hi. When are when are you going to be on the show? Oh, Andrew has already been on the show, haven't you? Oh, hang on. Let me unplug this so he can actually speak. I know. I mean, my show. I know, Andrew, I know you've been on Roll the Save. When are you going to be on Manticore? Would you like to be on Tale of the Manticore? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think some of the stuff at Tale of the Manticore you're probably not quite ready for yet, young man. That's right. You can't actually listen to it for 10 years. <laughs> but you like D&D, don't you? Mm-hmm. What's your favorite type of character in D&D? Uh, fighter. My, my guy. My guy. Okay. Good for you. I have a suggestion. You have a suggestion? So goblins with green, where we, talk, where we see who would win in a fight or, or out of our Heroes Unlimited characters. Right. So, yeah, Andrew's favorite system at the moment is Heroes Unlimited. And he's yes. wanting to do an episode about who would win in the fight, him or his sister's character. It was a giant hamster, I think, right? Giant guinea pig, yes. Guinea pig. I was close. I was close. One thing about Tale of the Manticore, which I love, is... You've said before, obviously, you're not aiming for comedy. It's not zany shenanigans. But one of the things, you, I think the storytelling is tremendous, but Thanks. it is also very clearly of an adult bent. You describe it as more Game of Thrones than Monty Python. Mm. Give us a, an example of, of what listeners could expect, why it's not a PG-13 pro- podcast. Okay. Yeah. I, you know, I ended up um, sort of retroactively appending um, a little warning to my episode zero. Some, but some listener had suggested I do that. hadn't occurred to me when I started, but they were they were right, and so I did. There's graphic descriptions of violence. There's um, sound effects, which I think sometimes might sell the hits uh, a little bit more strongly than than. Than you might at first imagine. Some, I think some of the sound effects can be triggering. <laughs> maybe in they're they're very graphic. I don't tend to do like sex in the show, partly because I think I would feel a bit weird if I was typing away. I don't know. I, if I if I was writing a novel, it would be okay. But I don't know. I just I guess I just haven't gone gone there, and I I don't think I will. I might refer to it kind of happening off stage, as it were, but I don't think I'll get into any descriptions of that. I don't use profanity which actually i've thought about a lot again when i started i was just trying to make it feel like my own D game games from when i was a kid a lot of violence a lot of horror 
but actually not really any sex and profanity. I don't know. That just wasn't the game I played. And so that that's just kind of where I, that's the groove I slipped into when I started making this, just to try and recapture the wonder and feel of actual classic gaming. But profanity, I don't know. Uh, there's, there's a podcast called Turncloaks, and I think they use some profanity, and it does feel more realistic. It is more like grim, dark. If you have the profanity as well, it it seems more real, gritty, darker. And I don't do it. So yeah, I wonder if mine is a little bit cartoony compared to those ones. I don't, I don't know. Cartoony maybe doesn't describe it's what I do. It's definitely not cartoony. Yeah. It, Given that I'm still in trauma, but some of your episodes, <laughs> it's definitely not. <laughs> well, maybe one of them hit a little close to home for you. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry about your character. <laughs> we'll give you, you another one. Can't we'll believe you, you did one. that to me. Yeah. <laughs> no spoilers, though. Such a, such a low blow. Interesting what you say about profanity. I mean, I come from a city, if I come from a country where we quite happily use profanity the same way other people use punctuation. Sure. Uh, which I've deliberately avoided on the podcast because I don't yeah. want to have to slap an explicit label on it. Uh-huh. But there's some podcasts I listen to that are actual plays, and when the characters start on the profanity, it almost feels like the kids that you used to have at school who would do it to try and be cool. Sometimes it can take you out of the, the the suspension of disbelief can be broken by that. When you're doing pretendy fun time games with elves, yeah, modern day profanity <laughs> doesn't always uh, fit as as well. That's right. Yeah. Again, that there's that there's that show Turncloaks, and they did it well. But um, you're right. If if you had you know an an elf saying you know. Yeah, if you if you had an elf just like firing off a tirade of expletives, maybe maybe that would yank you out of a fantasy if what you were going for was believable, dramatic, you know, dark, dark, gritty stuff. Uh, I guess I guess it depends on the writer or or the player. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's um, uh, that's a tough one. I, I've kind of struggled with that one very specifically, like. Mm, why don't I have profanity? There are a lot of situations which call for it. Actually, to be honest, there are a lot of times where I'm writing slash playing the show and that, that is what would happen. I think what would logically happen here, um, which is a question I'm just constantly asking, what would happen, what would happen, what would happen? And there are a lot of times where people would just absolutely go off that way. But now that I now that I didn't start with that, it would be weird to suddenly introduce it. So I guess I guess it's just not there. What I'm very glad with, though, is you haven't done what some other people have done, is where the, and I get what they're trying to do, but when they introduce their own world profanity, uh, it's yeah. made up elf yeah. words for profanity. Right. And it's Bra- almost like Star a, Galactica, right? Yeah. Frack, fracking, fracking this, uh, fracking that. Mm, that was, um, that was bad. Yeah. Yeah. It just, it doesn't, it doesn't sit well and it doesn't work. It feels almost like an in joke amongst the cast. Cause you first exactly, hear it and you're like, yeah. what, are these, what are these imbeciles saying? Yeah. And then it turns out that balunculus is actually the worst word in that, in that particular kingdom. So talking about <laughs> world building, you've obviously crafted your own world. You're mm-hmm. not using Greyhawk or any of the D and D settings. And indeed, You've got your own website where you're slowly adding to it. You know, listeners can go, they can see about the towns, they can see maps. Yeah. Yep. Talk talk us through that. What what goes on in that and what inspires you to create the various things that you find along the way? I guess uh, I'm, I'm not using a published one because I never did, actually. I never really gamed with one. Again, I've had them, but they were just to read, just, to, just as fuel for the imagination. Never played in Greyhawk or Forgotten Realms or anything like that. I always wanted to make it. Part of the fun for D&D for me is to make it. So why would I Why would I want to use someone else's ideas? I, I want to make it. Um, and so that's that's why I just went with my own. And then there there is a blog that I keep. It's, it's guys, not much. It's basically just a, a trash heap of my... Um, uh, random thoughts and and as you say like occasional maps and stuff i do put the show notes there uh which are like probably the most legitimate thing on the site and probably the least the least read but <laughs> <laughs> i figured that you know at least to give credit where it's due i i would i needed to publish the show notes somewhere uh so that's what i originally started it for and then yeah i'll throw up maps and character sheets or inventory sheets and wandering monster tables and stuff like that if people want to actually see the whole thing but in terms of like generating the story that's that's been 
a, a lot of the fun is, um, is making that world um, and it's procedural, just like the story. So I started off with a blank piece of paper. I drew a forest on it. I thought, well, we'll start in a forest. That's good. That'll be good. Everything that, uh, that gets added to that map only gets added because it comes up in the gameplay, actually. People say, oh, where are you from? Oh, I'm from this city. What city? Uh, Briar Hill. Okay. And now I have to put Briar Hill on the map somewhere. Actually, I remember for the first couple of months, it was a bit of a nightmare to negotiate what I had sort of said in the story to what existed on paper in, in terms of like distances that made sense. I wasn't, I wasn't going to go too obsessive over it, but I wanted it to make sense. So if I said, oh, it took me two days to get from A to B, I had to have a map with a scale that actually, you know, reflected that. And so actually that was, that was a little bit tough after, after I got enough, I guess, points of data on that map or in that world, uh, things started to become easier, but actually in the very beginning stages, that, that was actually quite a challenge. I think I had to redraw that map five or six times to, to make everything be in the right place. I think that's something you learn as you get older when you run games. And that is that feeling of consistency. Mm-hmm. I know when I run games for friends and they're listening, this is me lifting back the curtain. I'm obsessively making notes while they're talking uh-huh. because, uh-huh. and it's not just to do if I've ruled one thing, I have to make sure that's consistently applied. But if something is mentioned and like they are going to look up this place again, they're going to go and try and find that individual again. I need to make sure that I've written that down. Whereas I remember running games as a kid and you're basically just in a la-la land where something that has been mentioned two minutes ago has probably been forgotten because yeah. you just want to get to the next fight with the next orc and, and take that guy down. Yeah. One thing I really like about your world building is the attention to detail you've given the characters because essentially when your campaign starts, and we've agreed to not spoil anything, but you mm-hmm. start with a bunch of first-level characters. Yeah, As we all know, we've played basic D&D, First level characters could be pretty genetically boring. You've got a mm-hmm. thief and a magic user that can't yeah. really do much magic and a fighter yeah. and whatever. But you've given them all a sense of personality. And I I think there's an element of cruelty in your part there by giving them the personality because one thing that you mention right at the beginning of every single podcast that you do is that the dice absolutely rule the day. And if the dice say one of these characters die they will die. <laughs> the comparison to Game of Thrones is not that far off because you have made some genuinely likable characters and then taken them away from us. Yeah, yeah. It's, and, it won't be spoiling to say that there have been character deaths. There have been character deaths. And yeah. I think that's one of the best parts. So with your characters, take us through what you do in the character creation, but also who's your favorite character you've created if you don't mind spoiling anything there? Okay. That's a tough one because they're all mine. (laughs) (laughs) I'm picking a favorite child. Uh, Okay. For the character creation, I just, I have a little homebrew system where I roll 3d6 and if um, anything less than a five, I re-roll just because um, at least for player characters, I don't want anybody to have weaknesses that are extreme I think they can make good NPC characters, but I think for my PCs, I'll stick with this. Uh, so they're just rolled straight up that way. And so because of that, because of the bell curve, they typically end up having pretty average um, characteristics. There are no no su- superheroes. Uh, it could happen though, but so far no superheroes at all. And so they do end up, they do start off really generic. I specifically wanted to represent one of every kind of major class when I started so I did want to have one fighter, one magic user, one cleric, one thief, and then one other thing. It ended up being a dwarf at the time. And they are maybe a little bit cliched in, in their personalities to start. Typically, I'll give each character maybe one or two idiosyncrasies, characteristics, maybe a thing that they say more than once, just anything that, that's bold about them. Not necessarily bold in that sense, but I mean like Mm -hmm. underlined. So I'll have a a character like Umura, who's a magic user. She has a habit of always tucking her hair behind her ears. And I just make, I just keep that in mind every now and then do that. And then maybe that will sort of over time build up a look and feel for this character. I'll have another character 
I, I try and give them different voices. This is something I learned early, early on is I don't have a lot of voices in my head. Uh, so, oh boy, that was tough, especially when it came down to um, like accents and stuff. Oh boy, like what do I do about that? Anyway, for characters, uh, that that's kind of the creation process is to give them two, one or two distinct idiosyncrasies, things, or, or a voice that's distinct. But then everything else actually does happen over time and most of their personalities develop depending on what happens to them in game. So if there's an encounter with a some kind of creature and they almost die, they should be affected by that in a real human way. And so maybe they would develop a phobia. Well, actually, I guess that hasn't happened exactly, but that would make sense, that kind of thing. And if somebody, if maybe if somebody helped a character, they would they would have an affinity for that kind of thing. Anyway, the idea is that Everything in the world is procedural, but everything in the characters is procedural too. It just, it's organic. And I want it, I want the story to like have a life. Some points in that life are, are extinguished along the way, but, uh, <laughs> but I want those characters to have a reason to go on and, and a bit of uh, verisimilitude, I guess is the word I'm searching for here. Yeah. So we've agreed to no spoilers. So let's mm-hmm. do a cutoff point in your first 10 episodes what was your favorite moment? Because I know when you write things, mm-hmm. sometimes they come out differently from how you mean. You mean so? What did you have in your first ten episodes? Okay. Thought, oh wow, that was actually really good or really powerful. I've okay. got I've got a moment that I will share, but I'll let you go first. Okay. Mm, God, this is a tough one. I don't have a favorite character. I, I was thinking about that while I was rambling. <laughs> I don't have one. <laughs> I'll tell you this: when they do die, I really feel it. I really do. The same way all players who play D&D feel it when their characters die. And just the fact that I have multiple ones doesn't doesn't really help. It it really hurts every time. Okay, I'm going to have to pick the first character death. So I am going to spoil something now. So if No, don't spoil it. Don't spoil it. Should I not? No, just say the first character death, but don't spoil okay, it. Okay, I'll say the first character death. Because um, that got me that one. I think I sent you an yeah. email about it. I was like, whoa, I, didn't <laughs> I, that. I can't remember that. Um, so when that happened, and I say happened because it really does happen. I don't make it happen. The dice make it happen. And then I just try and interpret what's going on. When that happened, and I wrote about it, and then when it came together in the editing software, and I put some... I had kind of low blow piano, sad piano music under there just to really, really, really milk it. I remember when I listened back to that the first time, I actually did feel something in my own heart, which is weird because it's my own thing. And so like typically if I make some music, I don't necessarily uh, feel it. Maybe I should, maybe that's telling me something. Um, But this was one of the first times where I really made some kind of thing, some kind of art work for lack of a better term and actually like felt felt it back and when i felt that i thought i wonder if there's a chance if i can feel this if someone else will feel this and if that's the case maybe i found something good um not that i wanted a character to die but maybe maybe if i can sort of generate an emotional response in myself God, that's a very weird thing to say. Doesn't it sound so <laughs> masturbatory? <laughs> uh, all right, kids, go to bed. Um, <laughs> if I can, if I can elicit that feeling in myself, I wonder if that if is is that the feeling when you know you've got something good. Mm-hmm. And so I thought, oh, maybe I've maybe I've got something good here. Um, and that every now and then, as I've been working through the show, I I get there again. It's not every episode. But sometimes, and it's not always a sad event. Sometimes there are sort of some moments of triumph as well, where I feel like this is it struck a chord that resonates in the right way. Uh, and I think, oh, I want to, I want to reach for this feeling as much as I can. I, I don't think you can do it all the time. Otherwise it would just be overwhelming, right? You can't always be pushing the feels button. It has to be now and then, but I, I hope I can continue to get there in, in new ways and not always through tragedy, but sometimes through um, triumph or one thing that's really hard to do, I think for, for me would be, you know, like what if there's a situation where the, the characters look like they're going to die? It's really bad. 
And then what if I roll and it's, I roll that natural 20 and it's exciting. That I think would be a hard one to communicate to the show because the die rolls on my show, they're sampled die rolls. Mm -hmm. And that's just for consistency and sound quality. All the actual die rolling is real, but the ones that you hear in the show are, are sampled. And so when you hear me say, oh, natural 20 on the podcast, that, that I'm reading from a script because that originally did happen during the, the writing slash playing stage. And so there's no way around it. I have to try and remember my excitement. Anyway, mm-hmm. if there was that situation where the characters are in trouble and only a natural 20 can save them, what if I get it? What if I get that? <laughs> it'll, it'll, I, I could just imagine any listener going, oh, come on. Are you really, really, I, do you really believe, you really think I'm going to believe this? So actually that's, that's something I kind of. I would counter yeah. that though, because I think you do a very good job with the combat to actually make it engaging. Because I've listened to other actual plays and it may be that like I find fifth ed D&D almost unnecessary complex. Mm. There's nothing that turns me off more than when I hear people talking about, oh, I've got the ideal cleric build. I'm like, it's not a video. Uh, Come on. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. But then you hear these combats and I used to play a lot of military war games. Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking, this is getting into wargaming territory where people are putting together certain combos and mm-hmm. you know almost playing as a tactical war game whereas you're essentially rolling a die mm-hmm. and coming up with a number i think with the combination of the music and the narration it does make it engaging and there's been a couple of like one of my favorite moments and again no spoilers here was when your party first come across the creations of one of the main villains Mm-hmm. And it's a first encounter with them. Mm-hmm. And one moment in it really worked for me when you've got a combat going on. And again, you're chucking a D20 and you're seeing mm-hmm. who hits and who doesn't. Yeah. yeah. But where one of the characters, you just had a bit of voice acting and he says to the rest of the party, get behind me. Uh-huh. And I was like, that's brilliant. That fits the character perfectly. It fits the situation perfectly. It fits his personality perfectly. And the whole thing came together very, very well. And there was a real feeling at the end of that combat of, wow, something momentous has happened here. Mm-hmm. Ultimately, mm-hmm. you've rolled a D20 a few times and checked off some boxes and stuff's happened. But right. it was very, very powerful. So I wouldn't undersell your capacity to engage your audience with uh, narrating D&D combat there (laughs) as I said there's plenty of other people who make it needlessly complicated the narrative Uh element of what you do I think sells it very well I would say another high point because I mentioned before your sound effects and you've mentioned before you're a musician Mm -hmm. you you described yourself to me me once as being a gearhead you love Mm -hmm. old technology to do with sound there's a scene no spoilers here who it is or when it happens it's an execution scene. You just use a combination of sound effects to make it absolutely brutal to listen to. There's a I certain, know you're talking about. It's brutal certain, for me. Yeah, <laughs> it's a certain sound effect you use while narrating what's happening. And I came away from that, and I'm thinking, that, that actually, that's, that's hideous to listen to in a mm. positive storytelling mm-hmm. way. So with the whole musical aspect, how much of the music do you compose yourself? How much of it do you generate yourself? What's involved there? About about 50-50. And um, I'll probably try and get to 70% that I make myself. I think there's some that is just outside of my ability to do in a studio alone, uh, like the introduction music. Yeah, the introduction music especially. And then there are, there are a couple that I've sort of slated for sections. When I do a, the kind of the previously on, it's always the same music. It would be kind of weird to change that now. Mm-hmm. And then when I do um, like a character spotlight, I call it a dramatis personae, which having listened to other podcasts now, I realize is very hackneyed. Oh, well, stuck with it now. <laughs> um, I use a certain um, song or music for that as well that I didn't write. Uh, but for basically all of the narrative parts, not all, as much as I can, uh, I'm trying to do my own. And at first it was just, I had a classical guitar nearby and I was thinking about the old Diablo game and how effective that soundtrack is. And I thought, I wonder if I can do something Diablo-esque. 
And so I kind of tried to do that and I missed, but it, I was happy enough with what I got anyway. And then I thought, hmm, I'm going for this basic OSR feel. I wonder if I can incorporate some like big fat analog synthesizer sounds uh, and you know conjure up some 80s vibes that way. And so I started doing that as well. And just recently, I've started using some um, virtual instruments like cellos and violins and stuff. And uh, I'm, I'm, I'm not sure. Some of them sound a little bit synthetic. And so the, the classical guitar stuff that's in there, the fat synthesizer stuff that's in there. And lately, I've been sort of bringing in a bit more in terms of like virtual instruments. But uh, at, at present, they just sound a little too fake for me. And that always, that always bothers me if I listen to music and I can tell that a violin is a fake violin. Um, yeah, it bugs me. Every now and then I'll throw in some metal stuff too. <laughs> well, if it's any consolation, when you and I were swapping adverts mm-hmm. and I was going to get my wife to record the voiceover for mine and I played your advert and she looked to me and went, you need to up your music game. Like, Thanks. <laughs> I buy that the ad that I use is not music I wrote. That's the that's the Danny Elfman esque dun 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 dun. Yeah, uh, who does that one? Uh, is it Scott Buckley? Oh, I forgot. I forgot the name. How terrible of me. I actually found a very good site of royalty free music called mm-hmm. Epidemic Sound, uh-huh. and. I use a lot of, when I run um, Paranoia games, I use a lot of very distinctive sounds. I look for stuff that's essentially Muzak mm-hmm. because it fits the feel. Oh, of course, yeah. I've yeah. got a funny feeling that Alpha Complex has zero creativity when it comes to music. And this this seems to fit very, very well. But there was, yeah. we'd been through several adventures of this Muzak playing in the background. And I, I'll change it up every now and again. I'm, we started one game and the players are doing something completely banal, but I found this this track and this royalty-free music site, and it's called something like The Epic Battle Has Just Begun, and it's like something from a Michael Bay trailer. So I start narrating what they're doing, and they all just kind of stop because it's like epic soundtrack surging in the background, and they're like, Oh, I thought we were off to do something exciting. I thought I'd just try something different with the music. This is just one more reason why you have to make this. You have to make this thing. (laughs) Right. Well, I mean, it well, just gets better and better. Well, well, speaking of that, so you obviously started playing old school games. You uh-huh. never really got beyond that. Mm. Are there any games out there that you've heard of in the RPG community that you would really like to play that you've never oh, played? Many, many. Um, because I I spend more and more time listening. I still listen to a ton of a ton of podcasts. Um, and actually, the more I find that I like the harder it becomes to f- discover new stuff because I'm, I'm subscribed to a bunch of great, great shows. Yours, there's Chase, there's The Cast Perilous is another good one. I still listen to everything by the Iron Realm. Anyway, I could, I could go on and on. Okay, the games that I really want to play are Mythic, which is a solo play one. And actually, it, it's weird. I consider myself not a solo gamer. I know that's strange. Uh, I would like to try Mythic. I'd like to try Savage Worlds. Uh, that seems really, really cool. This one is going to sound super bizarre, but I'd like to try 5th edition Dungeons and Dragons. <laughs> but I kind of want to play that one live. I don't think mm-hmm. I want to do that one on Roll20. I want to have the real experience because if I don't like it, I don't want to think, oh, it's because it was online. Yeah, I want to think it's because I because it's not for me. I'm so really glad you said that one because mm-hmm. there's a tendency to assume the people will like OSR games or they'll like Fifth Ed and you can't like both. I own yeah, absolutely, yeah, both. Yeah. Jason, who's our co-host, he has played role-playing games for thousands of years because he's an ancient, decrepit old man. You'll love me for mm-hmm. saying that, Jason. But he loves Fifth Ed. So there's not this, I don't think there's this age gap between, oh, I'm over 40, therefore take away all copies of Fifth Ed. I can only play basic red box D&D. I think Fifth Ed, there's a lot of good stuff going for it. Uh, I know some people question wizards of the coast business practices and that's mm-hmm. a whole mm-hmm. different, that's different, though. Uh, yeah. different su- a different subject altogether i think ultimately it's down to who you play with and what fun you have with it yeah there there is this sort of perceived schism right uh, you're either an osr grognard or you're <laughs> um a normal person i guess is the alternative uh and i'm sure it, the 
there's a a meridian that happens around 35 years old or something like that. I'm not sure. That's destructive, right? I mean, mm-hmm. absolutely. I I would say that anybody could re- really enjoy anything. It really comes down to a couple things. One, do you want rules light or rules heavy? But even then, you know, some of the older stuff like Advanced Dungeons and Dragons, that's that's pretty old school, but it's mm-hmm. also pretty crunchy stuff. Oh, absolutely. Maybe maybe the difference is down to sort of like what level of heroism do you want? Because it it tends to be, and again, I'm generalizing, that the older stuff is more deadly and your characters are more likely to die. And so you probably don't invest as much into them, at least not initially. And so if you're a character that, or sorry, if you're a player that wants to do a big backstory and just imagine every facet of your character, maybe, maybe like newer gaming is better you have a less chance of dying and having to rewrite that, you know, five page bio. But if you're okay with characters dying and oh, here's a game I want to try Cthulhu where the expectation is you die. How cool is that? That's so great. Then you can just try and die in the most amazing way possible. Anyway, if you're the kind of player who's okay with characters dying because you're about the great, the bigger story instead of the character, um, then maybe OSR is better suited for that ah even even saying it i'm not sure that that's true outside of dnd in dnd that's true outside of dnd ah, i'm not really sure but yeah maybe that's the difference right are you playing for the for the whole story or are you playing for your character of the moment cuz that there's a difference there and both of them are fine and good right both of them are good i used to run a lot of world of darkness uh, larps mainly vampire one thing that you got especially with vampire there was a lot of people who would invest a lot into their character to the extent of becoming somewhat florid mm-hmm. when it came to it. And i remember having a discussion mid 2000s we'd finished a game and there was a bunch of us down the pub chatting away about the game somebody had brought up D&D there was a D&D game happening in a couple of weeks and would anyone be interested in playing and one of the players sort of sniffed and said oh you wouldn't catch me playing that I was like it's a role-playing game why, why, why wouldn't you play it mm-hmm. and he went it's not art is it and I'm like are you kidding do you think coming along once a month and kidding on to be a made-up vampire is art yeah. really he's like well I, well I write fiction based on this I'm like i'm sure there's plenty of people that write fiction based on the D characters mm. do not take that stance that yours is somehow better because you get to wallow in your inner beast and the dark angst of your soul mm. which by the way you don't do a very good job of <laughs> those games tended to attract some people with a lot of um, pretensions it's probably the I never LARPed. It fascinates me. I'll be honest. The the interesting thing, we're actually going to do an episode on Vampire LARP because all of us on the podcast used to do it. I've never done LARP in terms of the sword and sorcery running around the field with a rubber sword, whacking people Uh with it. Vampire LARPs are much more akin to a bunch of really snide people a secondary school spreading gossip about each other. Mm-hmm. There's actually very little combat or violence. It's all very, very political, and occasionally something kicks off. Mm-hmm. But the the fun of it is that just the sheer machinations involved. People will take a year to make something happen, and then it finally does happen, and there's a huge wow. payoff, and it's it's all great. It can also be terrible. I've played in some awful vampire laps i will not name any of them because i'm a mature adult but there are certain people there that think the best way to attract people to a game is to let them play whatever they want Mm -hmm. that is a surefire way to get the monster of the week players turning up the people who equate playing last of a dying race as Mm -hmm. playing something that's very flavorable and characterful but that's a whole different podcast that we're going to go down because we have so many horror stories you mentioned music before what mm-hmm. other things do you do apart from gaming? Do you have any other projects in the pipeline? Anything we should know about? Anything you want to brag about here that we can direct people to? Yeah, no, I do other things, but it's it's nothing that your listeners, I think, would be very interested in. I make uh, I make guitar pedals and I, I dabble in like electronics design and stuff like that. But again, it's totally separate from, from what I do with Manticore, another sort of outlet for 
some very mild OCD tendencies I have, I think <laughs> just something of like, you know, something I can spend four hours doing with a big magnifying glass visor on my face. But uh, yeah, it's, it's a non DD. I do, I do have a game going on where I'm a player. That's, that's just, I guess everybody's got one or more of those going right now. For me, it's kind of nice to be in the passenger seat for that one, to be honest, because it's all I do is show up once a week for four hours play a single character and make room for everybody else to do their thing. And it's, it's kind of very low impact D and D whereas tale of the Manticore tends to dominate my thoughts, but in a good way, in a good way, like there are really no days where I'm not thinking about the story or what might happen and rejecting ideas and coming up with, with new ideas and taking notes and shoving them in my pockets and yeah. Other things going on? Not really. I'm trying to survive being a high school teacher in a pandemic. That's taking up a lot of mental energy. And I'm trying to get my apartment to not look too much like a warehouse. So my final question before we go, you mentioned this right at the beginning. Yeah. What episode is it that you're ashamed of and why? Boy, you are good. Remember you said you were taking notes as a DM? Making notes right here, my friend. Here's here's my great shame. And uh, I've, I've debated whether I should fix this. You know what? I'm going to ask your advice. I'm going to ask your advice for something. So in my very first episode, I talk a little bit about um, Tale of the Manticore and what I'm trying to accomplish. And I sort of dunk on comedy D&D, uh, talking about gnome samurais and blah, blah, blah. Okay. Um, and then I mention, you know, there won't be any um, dwarves named Grog, and there won't be any half-orcs named Grog, and there won't be anybody named Grog. My sort of ignorance of the RPG scene was is so complete, was so complete, when I wrote that, that I didn't realize that there was a critical role character named Grog. Uh, and so people, when they hear it, they think that I'm specifically slamming critical role which I wasn't, I, I actually just was trying to think of the worst name I could think of, which I guess I am slamming it. I just wasn't intending to. So my, my big shame is that in my very, in my episode zero, I have this thing, which is almost sure to uh, alienate, I don't know, 50 to 80% of my potential audience going forward because critical role is beloved like nothing else, right? I mean, people people love it. For me, I've tried. I can't get into it. I've, I've listened to the first episode like seven times. I, just, I can't do it. I understand that people like it. And I understand that Matt Mercer is a very talented guy. But every now and then I think, should I go back and edit that out? Because I didn't, I didn't mean to go after this individual in any kind of nasty way, but I did. I kind of did. So should I, I don't know. What do you think? Should I go back and take it out? Absolutely not. I think Grog's a terrible name. No offense to anyone. <laughs> Please, no scorpions in the post. It's all pretendy fun time games. Also, I love your stance on gnomes. I've been involved in these debates online. Gnomes are the worst thing you can introduce. <laughs> what I find, and I'm going off on a bit of a personal rant here, but whenever I listen to a podcast, sometimes happens with halflings, it always happens with gnomes. People mm -hmm. who play little people characters yeah. feel the need to be utterly irritating. They'll put on a stupid voice mm. and they'll get up to quote unquote antics. Yeah. yeah. Even before podcasting was a thing, people who I played with who would play these characters would feel the need to essentially make one of Santa's little helpers who happens to be adventuring in this kingdom and has a whiny voice and gets into antics that gets the rest of us into trouble. If you have a scene where there's a gnome who's dying and your party refuses to help them because they realize the potential to, for irritation, please include that. You're going to voice that gnome. <laughs> the important thing is that the gnome dies alone and mm -hmm. in pain in and pain. is unloved. Right. A lot of pain. No sad piano music for that gnome. No sad piano. Joyous music. I'll give you some of my paranoia music. Some, some triumphant music yeah you can play that you give your warning at the beginning of your podcast there's going to be much pain in the days ahead that gnome needs to have the majority of that pain that's right with the girl from ipanema uh music yeah, exactly. playing in the background this gnome is dying <laughs> that would work all right i'll tell you if um 
if we ever do encounter a dying gnome, well, I'll make sure to make it extra grisly. Brilliant. Yeah, I yeah. want that. That's going to be like an R-rated episode. To yeah, you. we're going to we'll flay we'll flay that gnome. Fantastic. Well, <laughs> John, listen, it's been an absolute pleasure uh, having you on here. I wanted to get you in the podcast for a while. So thank you again for, for coming on here and hopefully we'll speak to you again soon. Thank you for having me and I'm sorry for ruining your podcast. <laughs> and that was our interview with John, the writer, producer and performer of the Tale of the Manticore podcast. We hope you enjoyed it and if you don't already listen to it, we hope you'll check it out. You can find John on Twitter at Manticore Tale. That's tale as in story, not as in thing that a dog wags. See, it's a pun. As John alluded to earlier, we're considering putting together a paranoia actual play podcast. If you're interested in putting yourself through this torture, uh, that is to say, if you're interested in participating, please send us a message on Twitter at Save Podcast. You can also email us at roll.2.save.pod at gmail.com or find us on Facebook by searching for Roll to Save. Thanks for listening and we hope you have a great and safe festive season and a happy new year. See you next time. Are you looking for a D&D podcast with a dark side? Something more like Game of Thrones and less like Monty Python? Tale of the Manticore is part dark fantasy audio drama, part solo D&D RPG. There's no plot armor here. The dice make all the important decisions. Join me as I resurrect the excitement, wonder, and emotion of old-school D&D. Made for a mature audience, Tale of the Manticore is both a fiction and a game. It's the story where chaos rolls. <laughs>